The reading for tonight is from Exodus uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 10, and chapter 7, verses 14 through 24. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what, I'll let, what I will do to Pharaoh, for under compulsion he will let them go, and under compulsion he will drive them out of his land. God spoke further to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. And I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they sojourned. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the sons of Israel, because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. So Moses spoke thus to the sons of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses on account of their despondency and cruel bondage. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is stubborn. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water and station yourself to meet him on the bank of the Nile. And you shall take in your hand the staff that was turned into a serpent. You shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But behold, you have not listened until now. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the water that is in the Nile with the staff that is in my hand, and it will be turned to blood. The fish that are in the Nile will die, and the Nile will become foul, and the Egyptians will find difficulty in drinking water from the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out, over the, stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, over their streams, and over their pools, and over all their reservoirs of water, that they may become blood, and there will be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. So Moses and Aaron did even as the Lord had commanded, and he lifted up the staff and struck the water that was in the Nile, in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, and all the water that was in the Nile was turned to blood. The fish that were in the Nile died, and the Nile became foul, so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. And the blood was through all the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same with their secret arts, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Then Pharaoh turned and went into his house with no concern, even for this. So all the Egyptians dug around the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink of the water of the Nile. The word of the Lord.
1861, just months after all-out war had been declared between the Confederate and the Union States, Shepard Mallory, Frank Baker, and James Townsend slipped out of the slave's tent and away from the camp after the soldier that was assigned to guard them fell asleep. The three men, along with a dozen more, had been leased to the Confederate Army by their slaveholders to help build up defense barriers on the south side of Hampton Roads Harbor at Sewell's Point. The Union Army was stationed directly across the harbor at Fort Monroe. Mallory, Baker, and James stole a small skiff and made their way across the harbor in the dark. When they reached the North Shore, they headed straight for the port, fort and presented themselves to the first Union soldier they found. They declared their loyalty to the Union states and asked for protection. By law, any escaped slaves who were caught in the North had to be returned to their owners. But the fort's commander refused to return them, declaring them contraband seized in war. It soon became the unofficial policy not to return slaves who crossed over from the Confederate lines and presented themselves to the Union soldiers. Camps were started near the front lines for the slaves. The men, who worked, the men would work to support the soldiers, and the women would help cook, and schools were started to educate them. Thousands of men from these camps enlisted in the United States Colored Troops, as they were called. By the war's end, there were more than a hundred of these contraband camps right up near the front lines, some of them so close to the Confederate lines that the contrabands would sing to encourage slaves to cross over to freedom from the Confederate side. They would sing, When Israel was in Egypt's land, let my people go. Oppressed so hard they could not stand, let my people go. Go down, Moses, way down in Egypt's land. Tell old Pharaoh, let my people go. The Lord by Moses to Pharaoh said, Oh, let my people go. If not, I'll smite your firstborn dead. Oh, let my people go. Oh, go down, Moses, away down to Egypt's land, and tell King Pharaoh to let my people go. The chaplain to the contraband camp at Fort Monroe wrote out the song and published it in 1862 as the song of the contrabands, O Let My People Go. Although it is commonly understood to have been a spiritual dating from much earlier known as Go Down Moses. Go Down Moses has been reportedly sung in underground communities trying to escape from oppressive regimes everywhere from Nazi Germany to the Soviet Union, China, Cuba, and Iran. It's recognized as a powerful prayer for freedom across times and cultures. A Hebrew translation of the song is a common element in the Passover Seder in Israel. The story of God sending Moses to Pharaoh to demand freedom for the Hebrew people on which this song is based is recognized as the quintessential type of a freedom tale. Peoples across various religions, traditions, see themselves in this story. 
Contemporary social justice interpretations see it as a story of an oppressed people standing up and relentlessly demanding freedom until their powerful oppressors can do nothing but relent and grant them their freedoms. It is kind of the way Amnesty International works, except other people demand justice on behalf of the impressed and the imprisoned until their captors give in. I like this reading. I like this idea. I like people demanding their own freedom and justice until the empire can no longer resist and must give in. When the story or the song is referenced in these contemporary social justice arguments, appeals, or calls to action or critiques, it's just that. It's referenced. It's not the whole story. It's like a touchstone. The phrase, Moses said to Pharaoh, let my people go, is a powerful shorthand for the whole story. But as a story, a Bible story, it's a little bit more complicated than that. And it's really, really, really a lot longer. The story of God calling Moses, telling him that he has heard the cries of the people and knows their suffering as slaves in Egypt, and that he is sending Moses to demand that Pharaoh free them, from there to the people actually being freed, is 13 long chapters of the book of Exodus. 13 long chapters out of 40. That's like a third of the book or something. It's a story that is dramatic and powerful and strange and filled with mystery and at the same time manages to be very repetitive and boring. It does raise some serious questions, important questions, about the nature of justice and violence and God. Yet it can read like a folktale with one-dimensional characters. And then, of course, I haven't even mentioned yet, the thing that takes up so much literary real estate in the story, the plagues. There are ten of them. Ten of them. And in the evangelical children's Bible class community, Okay, I don't know if that's a term that one who is part of the evangelical children's Bible class community would use, so my apologies. But in the evangelical children's Bible class communities, the ten plagues are one of those things that you are supposed to get kids to memorize. To memorize. So, all the kids, you want to get them to memorize these things, and because you all know, if you've been a part of these communities in the past, that question is definitely going to be asked during Bible Trivia Night. So just remembering our youth, let's all just say them together. River turned to blood, plague of frogs, plague of gnats, plague of flies, plague against the livestock, plague of boils, plague of hail, plague of locusts, plague of darkness, death of the firstborn. Don't worry if you didn't get all of them. I can't really hear from up here. But um, don't worry if you didn't get all of them. I won't tell Jesus that you failed. 
But no, really, I mean, I, honestly, I was reading them myself. I don't, I, I don't have them all memorized. It's, it's hard, you know? It's hard. And it's just like, what, I can't believe in every place that I read of the importance of memorizing the ten plagues, I never saw one, like, helpful memory tool or trick or something, you know? Like an acronym where it would be helpful. Let's see, what would that be? Blood, frogs, gnats, flies, livestock, boils, locust, death, darkness, death, B-F-N-F-L-B-H-L-D-D, no, or maybe something better would be like, um, I don't know, like, what do they call them, like a, a mnemonic device, right? Like, Bob's friend needs friends like boys hold long dead dog? That, or maybe some, like a song. Isn't there always some kind of songs that help you along? Like, I mean, what about, let's see, like, something like to the tune of Jesus Loves Me, you know? First he turns the river to blood, then the frogs come out of the mud. There's gnats and flies and livestock cry, boils, locust, darkness, and then the firstborn dies. Thank you. Yeah, that last one, that last plague, that's a hard one. God tells Moses to tell Pharaoh that he will kill every firstborn child unless he lets his people go. And then he tells Moses to have the people kill a lamb and paint the lamb's blood over their doors so when God passes through like a ghost at night, killing all the firstborn children, he will see the blood over the doors of the Hebrew houses and know to pass over them. And this final plague becomes instituted as the celebration of God's deliverance of the people from slavery. That other innocents had to die so that God's people could be freed is something that the ancient rabbis spent much time discussing and questioning and writing about, as do contemporary rabbis. One of the most dramatic moments in the Passover One of the most dramatic moments in the Passover Seder comes with the recitation of the ten plagues that the Bible says God brought on the Egyptians to persuade Pharaoh to free the Israelites from slavery. As we recite each plague, we spill a drop of wine in recognition, according to many interpretations, that the process of our liberation caused suffering to the Egyptian people. Rabbi Jill Jacobs is the executive director of the Rabbis for Human Rights. And she write, continues, rather than justify the plagues, some modern-day commentators insist, instead try to sharpen our awareness of the suffering caused by these plagues in order to help us empathize with others who are oppressed. 
There was a Haggadah produced by a women's program of the Jewish Community Center in the Upper West Side of Manhattan that offers this following meditation on the plagues. As we eat our Paschal lamb, the last night in Egypt, the darkness was pierced with screams. Our doorposts were protected by the sign of blood. But from the windows of the Egyptians arose an anguished cry, the death of their firstborn. God, soften our hearts and the hearts of our enemies. Help us to dream new paths to freedom so that the next sea opening is not also a drowning, so that our singing is never again their wailing, so that our freedom leaves no one orphaned, childless, gasping for air. There is too much going on in this long and archetypal story. So many complications. It brings up so many questions. It's something that you could think about and talk about for like 4,000 years. But the question that caught me this time through is actually in the backstory. I know, I just went on and on about how long this thing is, and then I'm going to push it even further and go back into Genesis. But this is what I think about. Joseph brought his family to Egypt during the famine. Joseph, who was the second most powerful person in Egypt, he ran the country for Pharaoh. And it was, even, it was Joseph who even set up this system for the Egyptian empire that transferred nearly all the wealth and the land from the people to Pharaoh. During the famine, when people ran out of money to buy grain, Joseph set up a system where they could trade their livestock for grain. And when they ran out of livestock, Joseph set up a system whereby they could deed over their land to the Pharaoh and he would give them grain. But from then on, they needed to pay rents on that land and give Pharaoh the first of their crops. This is the system that enslaved the people. And it's Joseph who set it up 400 years earlier. But this system at the time did not affect the family of God. It did not affect Joseph's family because Joseph and his family were part of the elite. They benefited from this system. They were among the privileged, living off the labors of the poor and the powerless. The question that comes to me is, how can a people get lost in the empire that their ancestors helped to create? Moving from the top of a system, benefiting from the labor of thousands of the masses to the bottom of that system. How can a people become enslaved by a system that their forefather created. 
Whatever questions this long story brings up, whatever nuances that we need to wrestle with or offenses we find in there that we need to work through, I hope that what we hear in this story is that the people the powerless, the enslaved, cried out and God heard them and delivered them. And I hope that it is still possible that God could hear the cries of a people who become enslaved in a system of their own creation And in case it is, let's cry louder.